I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles uh, to chapter 19 of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we've been walking through this Kingdom Come series where we're starting Matthew 18. We're going all the way through Matthew 28, all the way up through Easter. And um, I just want to begin this morning by pointing out the significance of, I try and start every sermon by saying, hey, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to whatever passage we're going to be in. And uh, it's a very intentional and specific thing that I do because I want you to know that whatever I'm going to share with you today is going to come out of God's word, that, um, that it begins and originates and flows out of uh, what's been recorded for us in scripture. Um, and uh, and uh, if you were gathering here just to hear my 40-some years of witty wisdom and stories, I would feel really bad for you because that would be a waste of your time. Um, I'm not that witty or that experienced, and I, haven't, uh, I don't have that depth of knowledge, but, but what I do have is the Bible. I have God's Word. And so as Christians, we place ourselves under the authority of the Bible. Uh, the, the, the Bible is ultimately authoritative over our life. We come to it and we say, okay, whatever this says is true, and if my life is out of phase with that, then I've got to orient my life into phase with, with, with what God's Word says. Because the alternative is that we could come to this and we could say, hey, this is an ancient book of wisdom literature and there's some good nuggets of truth in there. And so I'm going to read through and, uh, man, this paragraph, I'm going to X that out. That seems outdated. I don't believe in that. Uh, man, I just don't like that. I'm going to do that. I'll circle this one. This one looks pretty good, right? And so if you do that, then what happens? Who's the, ultimately the authority? You are, right? I decide what's true. I decide what's false. I decide what to accept. I decide what to reject. And so it essentially makes me into God, which is exactly what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, right? He said, he said, if you eat this fruit, then you'll be just like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil, and you won't need God to tell you anymore. And so when we do that, we fall for the same deception that has existed from time immemorial all the way back to the beginning. It's the oldest deception to come to God's word and say, hey, I'm going to stand over authority over it, and I'm going to decide what's true and what's not true. And so we, uh, as followers of Jesus, we come and we say, this is true. I'm going to figure out how to orient my life around that. I belabor this point because I'm preaching a very difficult passage today. So, so there's some intentionality behind uh, what I'm doing. And, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, marriage and divorce and singleness today. And so I want you to know that no matter what your situation or stage of life is, uh, that there's going to be something that's going to touch on where you're at today, and there's going to be a piece to grab a hold of. And so don't check out in the first five minutes and say, well, I'm not married or divorced, so this doesn't apply to me, right? No, this applies uh, deeply to each one of us in our situations. And so I want you to, to connect into it. But uh, I'd be willing to guess that in this room, there's probably not a single person whose life has not been touched by divorce in one way or another. You've personally experienced it. Maybe your parents have been divorced. Uh, maybe you have children who have gone through divorce, a brother, a sister, a dear friend. And even if none of those things are true by the grace of God, you're a part of this church community, and there are many in this church community who have experienced those things. So even if, even if it hasn't touched you in that way, it's still touched you within our, in our church community. And for anyone who's gone through it in any level, you know uh, the depths of pain that divorce brings, the ripple effects that it has into relationships and to children and grandchildren and, and, and how devastating it can be. And so if Jesus has something to say about it, we would do well to listen, uh, to draw near and to hear uh, what he wants to share with us this morning. But we have to ask a question when we come to it. We have to say, hey, how am I going to approach, approach this? 
Am I going to do it with Pharisaic, cold legalism? Am I going to say, hey, where are the lines? Who's inside the lines and who's outside the lines? Uh, am I going to come looking for loopholes? Okay, I see what it's saying, but I think I see a little bit of daylight here that I can squeeze through, still do what I want to do without completely violating what God says. Uh, do we want to just ignore it and move on? Hey, I'll check back in next week on a sermon that I care a little bit more about. Um, or... What I would encourage you is to prayerfully seek to understand and apply this to your life. Say, Jesus, this is a hard truth. What do you want me to do with it? <laughs> what action do you want me to take? Where do you want me to go? And I think when you orient your heart that way, no matter what your situation is, he will take you forward and he'll do something good in it. But, but we have a choice in how we're going to interact with his truth. The truth's there, but we get our choice in how we want to interact with it. So with that lengthy preamble... <laughs> Let me put one more thing in there. I know, I know we've got some kids in here today. Um, we've got kids' classes, you know, all the way up through sixth grade down there. I'm going to be talking about some mature content. I'm not going to, to try and get, like, uh, internet hits by being graphic and vulgar and, like, shocking people. That's not my heart or my intention at all. And only, like, 20 people watch our YouTube channel anyway, so it's not <laughs> it, would, it, would be a, it would be a wasted thing, right? But um, I wanna, my, my prayer all week has been like, God, I don't want to offend anybody by Ezra. I don't want Ezra's uh, flippant statements, uh, insensitivity. I don't want that to offend anyone. I want to get out of the way so that people can interact with your word and just allow that to speak to them. And so that's my heart, my prayer, my desire. If I fail on that, I apologize up front. But I, I, that's, that's my goal with this text. Man, you guys are scared of what I'm about to read, aren't you, right? <laughs> Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, and he entered the region of Judea before the, beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so let's look at the context here. Uh, Jesus has been teaching with power, with authority. He's been doing amazing things. He goes into this new region, and people are just flocking to him. And he's teaching powerfully, and he's healing them, and people are receiving new life. And so you can imagine the scenario. It's like, whoa, that guy was blind, and now he can see. And this person is, is uh, they were lame, and they couldn't even walk, and now they're walking. And they, they've been healed from leprosy, and that person had a demon cast out of them. And then the Pharisees walk up and say, hey, Jesus, uh, is it lawful for someone to divorce for any reason whatsoever, right? And you're like, Bro, like, get with, get, with, get with what's going on here, right? Like, why do you got to be the, why, why do you got to be the Debbie Downer? Why do you got to try and, like, mess it up? And, and it says clearly in Scripture that they were seeking to test him. Now, what, what was going on here was you can imagine in that, in that time, divorce was just as controversial a subject as it is today. And so the Pharisees saw an opportunity here. They said, hey, if we can get Jesus to commit to a specific position on divorce, then that's going to alienate a bunch of people. So we're going to ask him this question, and we don't even care what he says, because no matter what he says, there's going to be people that don't like it and that are going to fall away, and that's to our advantage. We want to try and divide. Uh, we do want to divide things up. We don't want all these people following him. And so they're trying to lure him into the trap of saying something that will offend some of those that are following him. Now, at this time, there were, there were a number of interpretations, and it really, all this centers around a passage in Deuteronomy uh, that was Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's a really long run-on sentence, but here we go. I'm going to try and do it, right? Uh, so when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and 
and puts in her hands and sends her out of his house. If the latter man dies, he who took her will uh, he who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And so what they said, so what's, what's happening here is Moses is speaking, he's writing about a very, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing about a very specific situation where he says, hey, if somebody's married and he divorces his wife and she goes out and then another man marries her and then he decides he wants to divorce her, the, the first guy can't take her back. And really the heart of it is it's like, don't pass women around like property, right? Like, hey, can I borrow that for a little while? I'll give her back later, right? Like it devalued women. Uh, it put them in, in, a, in a low, uh, almost like a, a, a position less than property. And, and, and it was a regulation to say, like, hey, don't do that. Don't, don't think that way. Sometimes people look at the Bible and think that it's this ancient book that's degrading to women. And stuff. The Bible throughout values and, and upholds women. Um, it speaks of their equality before God, their being made in the image of God. Uh, Jesus was always elevating women to a status that was not known in their culture at that time. And, and so the Bible was always out to protect and to value women. But the Pharisees zoned in on that one part that says, uh, if he divorces her because in his eyes he has found some indecency in her. And so like, all right, well, what does that mean? What does it mean, some indecency in her? And so each different rabbi would have their set of teachings, which they would call their yoke. And their yoke was how they interpreted these things. How much work can I do on the Sabbath? Well, I believe you can do this and this, but you can't do this. And, and what does this mean, right? And so they, they break it all down. And so different rabbis would have different yokes uh, that would explain how to apply the law to your life. And so that's why when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, uh, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He's talking about his yoke, his teachings, uh, that if you put them on, that they're light because they're, uh, they're just, and they're fair, and they're close to the truth. And so, so listen to some of the, uh, the teachings that were going on at this time. Um, the, uh, I've got to find them in my notes. So the school of Shammai says, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. So basically, if she has cheated on him, then, then he's allowed to divorce her. Uh, the school of Hillel, which was the most popular teaching at the time, says that he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. So hey, if last night's dinner wasn't very good, <laughs> right? And Rabbi Akiba said that, uh, that he may divorce her even if he found another fairer than she. And so basically he said, if, if the indecency that I find in my wife is that there's a prettier girl down the road, then that makes her indecent, right? It's, it's horrible. It's degrading, it's demeaning, it's not the way that it's meant to be. And so, so they say to Jesus, hey, which one of these options do you like? Which one of these do you believe to be the truth? Well, let's look at how Jesus answers. Jesus answered in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus essentially says, like, hey, I'm not going to choose out of all these broken options that you're laying out before me. I want to take you back and remind you what the prototype was. How, how was God's plan intended to unfold. We get into the same discussion when we look in Ephesians where it talks about wives submitting to their husbands, and people always want to say, but yeah, but what if the husband is horrible, and what if he tells her to do horrible things, and what if he's, I mean, we're, there's ways to deal with that, but what we're talking about is the ideal scenario. 
Let's start with what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Let's start by looking at what it really is meant to look like, and then we can kind of figure out what to do when that goes awry. But let's really begin there. And so, so Jesus says something really profound. Essentially, he says this. He says, hey, when God was creating the universe, when he was creating the world, when he was creating humanity, he could have done it any way that he wanted to. He could have made the central building block of communities and human life. Uh, he could have done it any way that he wanted. And yet what he chose is to take one man and one woman and to make that the center of human life and development. That's where reproduction happens. That's the center of community. That that's how God, in his perfect garden, before sin, before evil, before any of these things entered in, that's how God designed it and intended it to be. In this amazing way where, if you remember, Eve was, uh, he took a rib out of Adam, he made Eve, and then he brought them together in marriage, and they came back together. And so the one that had become two becomes one. There's this sort of poetic symmetry. Uh, there's this beauty and this simplicity in God's perfect creation. And so Jesus says, hey, let's, think, let's not think about all the broken variants. Let's think about what the pure thing is meant to look like, and let's move out from there. And I just want to encourage you, that's the way you always want to think about it. When you're reading through the Bible and stuff, yeah, we all Man, every one of us walks in here with baggage, with brokenness, with, with stuff, with junk, right, that we're trying to unpack. Um, uh, but, you know, if you build on a faulty foundation, things are always going to crumble and they're going to fall apart. Start with what God intended. Start with his, his perfect design and then move out from there. Or better yet, don't move out from there. <laughs> Just stay right there, right? And so, so he says this. Now, this leads us to some, some significant things that we need to think about. Uh, we've got to ask some questions, right? Is marriage an at-will relationship where both parties remain as long as they feel that it benefits them? Or is it a covenant made before God that they will choose to love the other even when it gets difficult? Now, biblically, it's a covenant ordained by God in which two people come together and they say, I choose to love you even when it gets hard. We go to the, we go to the wedding ceremonies. It's, it's typically a part of, I think, every wedding I've ever witnessed, right? In richness and poorness and sickness and health, for better or worse, till death do us part. We get up and we say these words, but the reality of the, the, the thought on marriage in our culture is this is a relationship of mutual uh, fulfillment and convenience. If I make you happy and you make me happy, then we'll stick together. At some point in the future, if you don't make me happy or I don't make you happy anymore, we'll go our separate ways. But the Bible says that what a marriage is meant to be is a mutual commitment to say, I'm going to love you even when my feelings tell me that I don't love you. <laughs> I'm going to choose because I made a commitment to God that I'm going to love you through it. Man, that's a powerful difference. Which gets to a question of what's the purpose? What is the primary purpose of marriage? Is marriage to make us happy or is it to make us holy? Biblically, it says it's to make, make us holy. And faith and character are most refined in difficulty. So a challenging marriage actually becomes, can become the fertile soil of a life of powerful faith. None of us wants to have a difficult marriage, and none of us wants to go through hard times. But hard times is where our character is, is hardened. <laughs> it's where our, our faith grows. It's where our prayer life explodes because we're like, God, I am powerless. I can't do anything. You've got to fix this. But the difference is, and I tell married couples this when I meet with them, when you argue, just don't even allow it to come into your vocabulary to say, like, hey, maybe we should just get divorced. You know what? Maybe when you come home, maybe I won't be here. 
Maybe it's better for both of us. Don't ever even say it. Don't let the words come out of your mouth. Rather say, you're mad at me, I'm mad at you, we're frustrated with each other, but I will never leave this marriage. <laughs> I'm going to fight through this until I figure out how to love you. And can you imagine if two, if a husband and spouse are taking, a husband and wife, if they're both taking that approach, look out, right? There's not much that you can't do with that sort of determined love. Maybe you're here and you're in a difficult marriage right now. Sometimes all you can do is lead the way with that sort of mind, mindset and mentality. And biblically, that's what, what you would be called to do. Say, hey, it's hard. It's difficult. If I'm honest, I'm not having fun right now. But I will not give up. I just will not give up. Right? That, that's God's picture. And then you can see how this becomes a reflection of the gospel. How when we stray from Christ, that he won't abandon us. He says, hey, you've got a wayward heart. Guess what? When you come back, I'm going to be here waiting for you. And I'm actually going to pursue you. If the 99 stay and the one goes away, I'm going to go find the one. If you're the strange sheep, I'm going to come find you. Right? And so our marriage gets the chance to be a picture of the way that Jesus loves us. It becomes profound. It becomes everything that it's meant to be. In Ephesians, he describes it as this great, profound mystery. That's what marriage can be at its best. And so that's what Jesus says is, let's not look at the lowest common denominator and, and, and sort out between these. Let's look at what the best it can be, and let's aim at that. Is marriage an institution created and overseen by God or by humanity? The state of Pennsylvania can make laws about marriage. The, the U.S. government can make laws about marriage. But, uh, but, but ultimately, as some couples say, that is just a piece of paper. <laughs> right? God is the one who created marriage, and so God gets to set the parameters and the guidelines for it. He owns it, right? And so, so, so it was his creation, and so he gets to, to, to define it. Well, you might be thinking what, what the Pharisees were thinking at this point. Jesus, that sounds awesome. In an ideal world, that sounds great. But we're not living in an ideal world. We're living in a broken world, and things are messed up. So, so, so what do you do then? We pick it up in verse 7. It says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Well, he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus essentially shows them that they're asking the wrong question. They're like, Hey, what's a good divorce? He's like, No divorce is a good divorce. Divorce happens because there was sin. There was brokenness. On one person's part, on both person's part, it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a deterioration of what it was meant to be. And so Moses allowed, he wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, guidelines for what to do. And you think about that's how all the law works, right? You get the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, uh, uh, that shall not steal, honor your father and mother, honor the Sabbath. You know, he lays out the ten, and he could have just dropped the mic and said, done, right? <laughs> and he did drop the tablets at one point, right? So in some sense, he did that. But, but then there's scores of things that say, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what you need to do. But when you fall short, when you mess up, when you need to atone for your sin, when you need to make things right, Here's the guidelines on how you do that. And so built into the law is this understanding that, that we're, we're sinful human beings. We're messed up. We're going to make mistakes. And God gives a path back towards him. It says when you reach the point where you want to do what's right, here's how you move forward. 
That's what the law does. And so, so that's what he said, hey, uh, it, it exists because of hardness of heart, but it wasn't that way. Uh, one commentator put it this way. He said, because of your hardness of heart should not be understood to mean that only hard-hearted people would ever initiate a divorce. Rather, it means because there was hard-hearted rebellion against God among you, leading to serious defilement of marriages, the presence of sin in the community meant that some marriages would be seriously defiled and irretrievably damaged, and God, therefore, provided divorce as a solution in those cases. Uh, he talks about uh, sexual immorality. Um, in, in our culture, we use a wedding ring as the symbol of our marriage, right? This means that I'm married to Katrina, and, um, and, and this is a symbol of my commitment to her. Now, if in my bag that I had in the back, I had a bag of about 30 or 40 of these, and I just walked around to any pretty girl that I saw and said, hey, can I give you one of these wedding rings? It would devalue the ring, right? What would it mean at that point? It's just being given away. Well, God, in, when he brought Adam and Eve together, he didn't give them rings to exchange, but what he gave them as a powerful symbol of their union together was, that, was them becoming one flesh. It was, their, it was their relationship with each other, the physical relationship with each other. It's meant to be a sign and a symbol of the covenant of a marriage relationship. And in that context, it's beautiful and it's, it's powerful and it unites a couple together. But what we've done in our culture is we've taken that symbol that's meant to be a powerful, beautiful thing, and we've cheapened it, and we've devalued it, and we've handed it out for any given purpose, wherever. And, and what that does is it deteriorates the significance of marriage. And we've worshipped the created thing rather than worshipping the creator. And, and it does damage to our hearts. And so, uh, so, so, so Jesus points that out to them. And so essentially what he says is, um, when you make that covenant of marriage to each other, then you commit that you're not going to be physically involved in that way with anyone else. Now, if one member of the couple decides to go and do that, they've broken the covenant. They made a promise, but now they've, they've broken that covenant. And so he says, in that case, it's permissible for you to go and legally recognize what's already physically taken place in reality, that that person has violated the covenant. But here's the other thing. Jesus said it's permissible. He doesn't say you have to. Some rabbis at this time would say, if they cheat on you, you have to divorce them. There's no other option. Jesus says in this option, at that point, the covenant is broken and it's permissible to divorce. But if that other spouse is repentant, if they realize the error of their ways, if they come back and they seek reconciliation, that reconciliation is certainly possible and even desirable in those situations. Um, looking at the teaching from last week about forgiveness, right? He says, how many times should I forgive? Seventy times seven. Um, and so as we've been forgiven of a great debt, there's always an opportunity to extend forgiveness. That is always an option that's on the table. But when, when that brokenness of the marriage relationship happens, then, um, then there's a choice to be made. It's a hard word. And so what do we do in light of this, right? What do, what, what do we do in light of this truth? Well, it's interesting to look at the response of the disciples in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. <laughs> the disciples say, like, if what you're saying is true, Jesus, it's just better not to marry. It's just better not to get married. Now, you might expect Jesus to be like, no, 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 you misunderstand me. No, 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 like, trust me. Like, you, what does Jesus say? He says, he said to them, not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, 
let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Essentially what he says is this. He's like, you know what? It's not for everybody, but for some people you're right. It's actually better to be, to be single than to be married. It's actually more desirable for them. And this man, in our culture, this is so hard to receive, right? Because we idolize romantic love and relationship. The idea of going out through, through, through the world without a soulmate, without this person who's, who, who's meant to be, but, but, um, but that's not a biblical picture. Think about it. Jesus was the most perfect person. He lived the most perfect, full, and complete life of anyone who ever lived. Jesus didn't have romantic love. Jesus didn't get married. Jesus didn't have children, and yet he had these deep, intimate friendships and relationships. He had a life of incredible purpose and power and meaning, that, that Jesus lived the most meaningful, powerful life without all these things that we think we have to have to have meaning and purpose in our life. And so it's got to challenge us to think about, like, okay, hey, maybe I need to think about this differently. Now, if you're here and you're single, you might be saying, amen, brother, but Lord, please not me. <laughs> please let that word be for somebody else, right? I want to encourage you with this. If, if that's your heart, um, hey, keep praying that God would bring somebody. If that's, if that's what you truly desire, keep praying that God would bring the right person. But don't get tricked into settling for just any person. Because a fulfilling life of singleness is better than, than making a really bad choice in the spouse. And, and, and that can, can be a great hindrance. Um, but while you're praying for that and trusting it into God's hands, say, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to trust this with you. You know what my heart's desire. You know what I want. If I, were, if I were choosing, this is what I would choose. But I trust that you love me and that you care for me. And in the meantime, don't languish. Don't just be like, oh, I can't wait for my life to start when I finally meet that person. I can't wait for my life to start when I finally have kids. I can't wait for my life to... Live right now in the season where God has placed you. Make the most of the opportunity you have today. As a single person, I promise you, you have 23.7 more hours in your day than what I have <laughs> as a married father of four kids. I'm just telling you, you do. You don't realize how much time you have. <laughs> and time is a gift, right? And I wouldn't trade my life for a second. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I just had to reassure my wife, right? But I was a single guy for a long time, into my 30s. And, uh, and um, I didn't always use my time wisely, but I had a lot of it, right? If you're single, use your time well. Choose, choose to use your, 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 your singleness for the advancement of the kingdom. Let me talk about something else that, uh, that, that you know that we don't talk a lot about here at Riverside. Um, and so if this is your first Sunday here, I promise you this is not an issue that we, we talk about or harp, harp on. But what if you're in a situation where you um, experience a temptation towards same-sex attraction? What if, that's, what if that's your unique challenge where you're, you're, uh, that's, that's your temptation? The first thing I want to say to you is this, that um, feeling that, those feelings, feeling that temptation is not a sin, right? Jesus was tempted when he was in the wilderness. Temptation itself is not sin. It's what we do with temptation. And every person in this room is tempted by different things. And to look at one person's temptation different than another's, I think, does an injustice to what, what God would desire. And so historically as a church, we haven't done a good job with this because in the church we said, hey, within the church community, hey, you guys are, are living together and, and sleeping together and you're not married. Okay, hey, we can work that out in community. Hey, uh, you, you cheated on your wife? Hey, let's, let's work that out in community. You, you defrauded people in business. Even you murdered somebody. Hey, let's work that out in community. Uh, you're dealing with same-sex issues? Oh, that's over here. That's outside of community. 
That's not the way God wants it to be. God wants us to take every challenge, every struggle, every difficulty, and he wants us to work it out in biblical community. And you think about it, if, you, if you're somebody who's, who's wrestling with, like, hey, I know what the Bible says about this, but I also know what I feel, and I'm trying to make sense of it, man, that's somebody that, that needs Christian community more than anybody, right? Because their challenge is they feel isolated, they feel lonely, um, they feel misunderstood, and to have loving people that would come alongside them and say, I love you, I care about you, I want to be in a relationship with you, I want to walk through this with you and, and look at the Bible and see what it says. Um, man, that's, that's an opportunity for the church to be the church. And I think that's where we need to be. Um, I, I want to show you guys a couple of resources. One is this book, which I found to be incredibly helpful. A man named Sam Alberry. Uh, the book is called Is God Anti-Gay? He is a minister in England. And... Um, and he wrestles with same-sex attraction and uh, has his whole life and talks about what that looks like to say, hey, this is what I experience, this is what I feel. Uh, it doesn't define who I am. It's, it's something that I experience. And he talks about how he walked through it. And he gets into some hard, hard questions. It's a short book. It's concise. It's very fair. It's very loving. It's very balanced. And what it does is it shows a way forward. Hey, what's the way forward? God, in the midst of this temptation, um, and we don't want to do it a, 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 a disservice in any way. And so if that's where you're at, I just want to clearly express to you today, I'm so glad that you're here. I want you to be here at Riverside in a place where you can come near to Jesus and hear his word spoken with truth and with love. And we're glad you're in community with us, and we want to continue to walk forward with that. Um, what if you are uh, in a myriad of, uh, of other difficult things? If you're in a difficult marriage situation, and, and Jesus talks about... Um, about adultery here. Now, in, in Corinthians, it also talks about abandonment of, of, of a marriage being a, a valid reason for divorce if an, a believer is married to an unbeliever who chooses to abandon the marriage. And so that you get into this crazy decision tree. I would say this book is excellent. You can see how thick it is. It does a very good job of detailing all that. In the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to be able to do all that, right? Um, but I've actually started using this book in our premarital counseling because, and I do it a little sheepishly as I go to a couple that's about to get married and I say, here's a book I want you to read. It's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, right? <laughs> but the reality is the first third of the book lays out such a beautiful biblical picture of what a marriage is meant to be that if you apply what you see in the first third of this book, you won't need the second two thirds. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're in a difficult marriage, a broken marriage, if there's been sin, maybe you've been divorced in the past and you're considering remarriage, maybe you were divorced and you did get remarried and you're just trying to make sense of all of it, this book does a great job. You can use it almost like an encyclopedia where you can like flip through here and say, all right, wh where's my situation in here? What do I do? Uh, same as the other book. The point of this is to say, given where you are right now today, how do I move forward in obedience to God? What, what, what is the thing to do? And, and that's with any sin, right? When we come to a moment where, where brokenness and sin is called separation, the thing we do is we repent, we acknowledge to God that we have fallen short, and then we seek to, to begin moving forward in the right way. And the story of the Bible over and over and over and over again is God's redemptive work, where he takes a broken situation, he says, okay, this is where you are, here's how we go forward. And sometimes, in, in, especially in this issue, and particularly in this issue, uh, the church can sharpen its pencil point down so sharply that it says to certain people, hey, you know what? You're in living purgatory. <laughs> there is no way forward for you. At this point, 
you're just going to have to wait till Jesus comes to collect you because th there's nothing else you can do. There's always something you can do to move forward. Amen. Now, that answer might not be one that you love right away, <laughs> but I'm going to encourage you to commit to study what the Bible says and whatever the Bible says. Say, hey, I'm going to commit to Jesus. Says, I'm convicted and convinced of what you say is the way forward. I'm going to do it because I know that it's the best thing for me. If you're married, I want to encourage you to value marriage the way that God values marriage. I hope that today gave you some perspective on how incredibly powerful and beautiful and meaningful marriage is meant to be, that it can be this, this incredible picture of Jesus' love for the church. And if you pursue it in that tenacious way, man, I've talked to some people over the past couple of weeks that have shared stories with me, and it is unbelievable the power of even just one spouse that'll say, I know that I've made a commitment to this person and I will not give up on them. It's like the, the waves <laughs> crashing against the rock. <laughs> it might take a long time, but it is an unbeatable force. Um, and if you take plan B off the table, God can do some really cool things through that. Commit to love your spouse well, to show them grace. Did I touch on the, all the situations? I may not have touched on your situation. <laughs> But whatever it is, wherever you find yourself today, I want you to walk out with some, some clear things. Number one, that, that God created marriage and he's laid out not only marriage, but our, our, our human relationships of intimacy with one another. That, that we don't each get to decide what that looks like, that God created it and he defines what is right and the ways that we can honor him in that. But wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever you find yourself today, there's a way forward. And I promise you that going forward in the way that God lays out and, and, and says is honoring to him and is right will be the best thing that you could ever do. It will yield the best result. It, it will bring you joy and peace and purpose in a way that you couldn't imagine. And, and that's why we're here, right? <laughs> we, want, we want to know Jesus. We want him to teach us how to live in a way that honors him. And that, that, that the side benefit is that we get a life of, of joy and meaning and purpose and hope and, and all these good things with it. I'm so glad today that we are concluding um, with the Lord's Supper because it's, uh, it's this beautiful, it's, it's another symbol. It's not the wedding ring, but it's, it's, it's the symbol of our relationship with Christ. And instead of a ring, he gave us the cup and the bread. But what it's a symbol of is the fact that Christ has committed to us in a way that is unbreakable. You know, you watch those movies sometimes where they're like, in our language, there is no word for divorce, right? <laughs> in Jesus' language, there is no word for divorce, right? He, he will not divorce us. He will not break relationship with us. Scripture says there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Height, nor depth, nor powers, nor angels, nor anything can separate us from his love. It's unbreakable. And taking the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that. And it's encouragement that our human relationships with each other are meant to be a reflection of that ultimate perfect relationship. The closer we get to that, the better we're living. The more the gospel is on display for our, our world to see. And that's how we want to live. And so two things. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite you in a little bit. I'm going to invite those that are helping us to serve to come and get in place. I'm going to invite the band to come on down and get ready to lead us in worship. I want you to take a few moments, if God has laid something on your heart, 
if there's something that you need to get at peace with him, lay it out before him. Confess it. Repent of it. Thank him for his mercy and his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And take the Lord's Supper with more joy than you've ever taken it before, knowing that he loves you. He knew your brokenness when he forgave you and, 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 and when he brought you into relationship with him, and, and he cares deeply for you. And go forward, as Jesus would say, go and sin no more, right? If you're not in relationship with Jesus, if, you, if you've never trusted him and in, in, with him for salvation, uh, he's, offering, he's offering it to you, right? He's saying, come into relationship with me. Whatever's broken, there's a way forward. Whatever is, is messed up, I, I can make you whole. I can make you feel purpose and peace. I can give you everything that you desire. And today's the day to take a hold of that. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't wait until you get things cleaned up and fixed. Receive the free gift of salvation that he's offering to you. You can't earn it. You can't be worthy of it. Spoiler alert, you're not worthy of it. But he loves you enough to give it to you anyways. Amen. And today is the day to grab a hold of that. And so if that's where you're at today, I would encourage you, don't come and partake of the, the table. Rather, you'd be better to sit there, pray, ask Jesus to be your Savior, and then take one more step. Send me an email this week, Ezra at RiversideConnect.com. Or if you like Keith better, email Keith, Keith at RiversideConnect.com. We don't care, right? Or come grab us after the service. We want to celebrate with you, and we want to help help you to understand what it is that, that God is calling you to do. And so the band is going to lead us in some songs of worship. Uh, I want to invite everyone to stand, take a few moments to reflect, confess, repent, and then when you're ready, come, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, return to your seat, and join us in worship.